Well, uh, while you're flipping there, we're going to be in Nehemiah 5 today, tracking right along through our study in Nehemiah. Hopefully it's been good for you. I will tell you that this is, this is so interesting. This, this specific topic has been difficult for me as I was processing. Normally I'm a few weeks ahead in, in my sermon prep and I kind of know where we're going. This specific message has troubled me for a couple weeks since the Lord put it on my heart. And this week has not proven to be any different than what my experience was, what I thought it would be. So I just hope that in this, this concept and what we're, what we're digging into today, I hope the Lord ministers to you and maybe just enlightens you to different things that you've never thought of. Maybe a different, different, uh, different approach to the way you live your life, the way you think about people. And, uh, and that's my hope's desire. But really, this sermon uh, is, is different than the ones in before. And this sermon is entitled uh, Discontent and Determination. Kind of the, the backdrop for this, what's happened thus far, is that Nehemiah, if you've, been, if you've missed a Sunday or something, I'll catch you up very quickly. Nehemiah had been really impressed upon his heart to do this, to do this great work and rebuild this wall, the wall around Jerusalem. It was not just a... It was something for them not just to be identified with, but for them to have stability. And in doing the work, and the Lord impressed upon his heart to do this work and to lead this effort, he's kind of, he's kind of journaling through this book. It's a journal as to the events of what God has done through the circumstance. We know that he was a godly man. We know that the Lord led him to this great work. And as he kind of embarked on this journey... Some great things have happened. We've seen families kind of muster together and to work together to rebuild sections of the wall near their home. And now, last week, we kind of seen that, that these guys, these yahoos, came and they start opposing the rebuilding. It's almost like in, in chapter 4, they, these people from outside, are, they're opposing the work. And they're not just opposing Nehemiah face-to-face, but they're really they're trying to stay in opposition to what the Lord is doing through these people. So this is a little bit different, but one thing that we see is a common theme from, from last week to this week is, is kind of the overriding theme of greed, and there's an idea of social injustice that's happening in the context of this scripture. What we're going to do is take this part bit by bit, like we usually do. We're going to read uh, chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, and then, uh, and then go from there. This is what the word says. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we, are, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. There's a problem. He says we must get grain. But yet others, in verse 3, others were saying, we are mortgaging, mortgaging wow, that's hard for me to say, our fields and our, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have been subject, or have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Who, who is this, who is imposing these things on the people? It's their own people. This who's actually causing this social injustice to the, to the Israelites as they are back in their homeland. And they're not all back yet, and we'll see this in a few weeks. They're not all back yet, but 
But this oppression is happening from insiders. From inside their own people, there are people trying to capitalize on the... On the in what we'll see in a minute, of just the tax that the king is imposing on the people. The people can't pay the tax. The people are so, they're so busy working on the walls of Jerusalem and they've kind of foregone their own professions and they said, wow, we're like, we're in like neck deep into the work of God here and we just want to forego what we're doing, our profession. But the problem is they had nothing to gain income by. And though... I don't know about you, but it wouldn't take but a few weeks of no income before you'd really start getting stressed, right? Well, it's the same situation with them. They don't have income. So what happens is these people from the inside, they start seeking that as an opportunity to cause some social injustice to happen to their own people. That's a problem. These people, they were who were actually doing the work, they were so busy that they were willing to leverage being comfortable, their income, their profession, because they knew the vision that Nehemiah had cast before them was so compelling that they needed to give to it, not just give money and give time and to leverage everything that, that was basically comfortable to them for this work. And yet some others thought that that would be uh, an opportunity to gain advantage over them. Let's take this apart in verse 2. It says, Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Grain, what is that to them? That's their food. He says, All of these things are happening. Don't you realize they're bringing it to the attention of Nehemiah? Because they're already, they're already suffering. They bring the attention to Nehemiah. And they said, okay, some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. And in order for us to eat and stay alive, it's like, hello, if we don't eat, we're going to die. Okay? They didn't, have, they didn't have their piggy banks had already ran out. They didn't have you know, all the money set aside. This, the king was imposing these, these taxes, this just absorbent amount of money. And all that they could do was they would just struggle to hang on. So Nehemiah, at that time, was the, he was the point man. He was the leader. He was the one who was saying, you go here, you go here, you go here, you go here. And they said, hello, that's awesome. I'll do the work. But at some point, I'm going to have to eat. We all like to eat, don't we? Um, but then in verse 3, you see this is the, the leverage, more of the leveraging being comfortable. I get to say mortgaging again. Hopefully, I'll say it right as I read it this time. Verse 3, others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. What is happening here? In their life, it's like a downward spiral. They don't have income coming in, so the things that they do have ownership and possession of, they're starting to leverage those things for their own food, which in essence, Nehemiah is getting, he's having the spark in his head saying, okay, there's a problem here that needs to be addressed that these people are willing to leverage for this great vision that I presented before them, there's a problem of social injustice that's arising. Then it continues in verse 4. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. All the warrior are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So this is another level. It's these people, they didn't have money. They leveraged their 
their land and all these things. And they said, well, if you don't have any money, you don't have any land, you're still going to have to pay tax, right? So he says, now what we're going to do is we have an option for you. We're actually going to take and we're going to enslave your kids and then we're going to make them work off your debt. Well, no good spiritual leader is going to sit back and, and watch these things happen without bringing it to the attention of, of everyone who could make a difference. Now, it, it's really, really kind of interesting. Um, this, the, Persian king, the Persian king at this time, he was like gaining through these, these taxes of the people, he was gaining, this is in real life times, as much as $100 million a year from the population, from the groups that, that basically they would take over land and they'd say, well, we'll let you have your own identity, but you're going to pay tax. He was gaining like a year $100 million at a time. So this tax that we see is just a huge amount. And obviously he, uh, he was a little greedy because he wanted his cut. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but the government pretty much wants their cut as well. That was the most random thing I've ever seen. Um, said money fall out of my Bible. That is, I'm going to, no, it didn't happen again. Um, it's worth a shot. Um, but, so for these people, I don't know where to go now. These people, sweet, we're talking about money. So, so to get money, they had to borrow from other people. And I don't know about you, I only have a certain amount of friends that I could borrow money from. But if money falls from your Bible randomly like mine does, then... Nothing to worry about, I guess. Um, but it's one of those things. You only have a certain amount of people to borrow money from without it really start being a problem. And that's what these other, the, the, all these people, and it's just a trickle-down effect, and, and the economy's going bad, and everything is going bad for the people. But Nehemiah, he says, okay, the work is not done yet. We have all these great things going. The work needs to continue. But more importantly, now we need to correct the social injustice that's happening in our land and with our people. And that really is what I hope that the Lord pricks your heart about today, is to, to open your eyes to realize that there is social injustice that happens right here in Dublin, right here in middle Georgia. Right here. Right here. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. One thing that, that I find, and as you study the scripture, I think you'll find that this is a, a continual theme. That social injustice is repulsive to the heart of God. It's repulsive. If you go through the scriptures, nearly every book of the Bible has this idea of social injustice. Fighting for the poor, fighting for the oppressed, speaking for the widows, caring for the orphans. This is just something that happens throughout all of scripture. And as, as we are supposed to be followers of Christ, and we look in the context of the New Testament, in Matthew 22, in, in the, the first and second greatest commandment is love the Lord God with all your heart. And the second one is what? Love the neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were hungry, what would you do? You'd go get food. So if we look at that and say, wow, okay, if we love our neighbor as ourself, that means we need to look for their best interests just like we would look for our own. That's, the, that's one of the, the essence of a Christian, of, of, of your walk as a Christian, as a, being a follower in our day and age. Now, look at uh, verse 5 and 6. It says, Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, he says, you know what? There's no difference between my kids and your kids. There's no reason why your kids 
and, and everybody else's kids should be doing well, but yet we have all of these things happening in our lives, and we're having to, to struggle and suffer. There's no reason why. We said we're all in the same playing field here. There's no reason why my kids should be suffering, and I should be suffering when you're doing so well. This is kind of his thought here. And he says, he says, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. But look what he says in verse 6. This is amazing. This is amazing. Nehemiah, he says, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very, what? Angry. He said, he's sitting here, and he, I can just imagine this as a good leader. He's sitting here, and he looks at the work, and he's like, Awesome, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. You know, giving high fives to everybody on their section of the wall and, and the work is continuing. Amazing things are happening. And then all of these things are happening. And I guess he probably, I mean, he, you know, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything that God knows. So he gets this, this, this problem in verse 6. He gets this problem and he says, when I heard their outcry because the people said, all right, white flag here, I surrender. This, something's got to change. And he says here in verse 6, he says, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Now, with this, I think it's, it's important to notice that this anger that he's talking about isn't an anger like he wants to go like become like an MMA fighter. It isn't that kind of anger. All right, if those who don't know what MMA is, it's mixed martial arts, it's stuff. Anyway, I'm moving on. It isn't like that kind of anger, like he wants to go punch somebody. It's anger like, oh my goodness, there's a great problem that's happening here, and I need to go and strive to try and make a difference for these people, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Because all the people did is they did what they knew to do, and they brought it to their leader's attention. And yet, Nehemiah, he cares for his people. Like a good spiritual leader should. He cares for his people. And he sits back and he says, you know, I heard, the, I heard their outcry and these charges and I was very angry. He was angry because it was happening. But also this anger that, that's bent, it's not in this kind of anger, it's, it's not an anger that's supposed to make you mad. It's an anger that's supposed to spur you into action. Into action. For instance, social injustice. This is like a, a righteous anger, if you will. It's like, it's like a holding anger. It's like he's broken about the fact that these people are suffering for something that, that basically he caused. That he's basically, he has caused this, so he wants to try and straighten out the problem. Now, as the people are trying to capitalize on the hard work that Nehemiah is doing, and you see that, their world, but I, I, I want to connect it to ours for a minute. What is, what's the truth that's to be applied here? I have a few things that's going to be on the screen. First thing I see is that it's all right to speak for the oppressed. We see that in Scripture. That's, that's something as a follower of Christ we're supposed to do. We're supposed to speak for the oppressed and those caught in social injustice. We're not supposed to sit back and say, wow, that person's homeless, and I bet that person's homeless probably because they're an alcoholic and because they have a problem, and they probably had a wife and kids they ran out on and all these things, and now they're in this situation because they put themselves in this situation. That isn't what we are supposed to do. We're not supposed to, to play judge and jury because we're not. Scripture says we need to speak for those however they got in that, that situation of social injustice, and however they got caught up in it. He says, as followers of Christ, we, they may not have a voice in and of themselves, but as followers of Christ, we are supposed to have a voice and speak 
for them. But then secondly, you see that this, this anger is not supposed to make us sin. This, see, with us, we think of anger, we think of getting angry, we think of yelling, we think of all these things. It's, it's like a, a... Bill Hybels wrote a book called Holy Discontent. I would, I would recommend you read the book. It's an incredible book. And he talks about this idea that, that we have these, these things in, in a Christian life where we sit and see injustices that are happening, whether it's locally or globally, and somehow that as human beings and as being followers of Christ, that we have this thing that spurns within us that says, you know what, we need to make a difference here. We need to make a difference there. We need to make a difference in Africa like we're doing. But yet we need to make a difference here. We need to speak for those here that are caught in social injustice. And it's not supposed to drive us to sin. It's supposed to drive us to action. It's, a different, it's, a, it's not the anger that we think of. It's the anger that, that James 4.26 talks about is what it is. It's, it's, you know, being angry but not sinning in your anger. And it, for us, it's, it's saying, okay, yeah, you're going to be upset about something, but don't be upset and where you want to be vengeful, but you, you would be moved of the Spirit that you would go do something to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. But there's more. The, the anger, this type of anger, oftentimes is driven, is driven, it's fueled, if you will, by our passions and by our life experiences. For instance, if somebody is a, say, recovering alcoholic, and after they have been redeemed by the Lord, and maybe that they have, that they have repented of their sin, and they've turned away from that, and maybe that the Lord has, has freed them from that addiction, that one of the natural outflows as a, as a follower caught in that situation would be to do what? To help other people in that situation. Right? Is that, is that consistent? Do you, all, do you all understand that? But it's the same thing. If somebody is, maybe they've, they've had a struggle all their life. Maybe it's an abused child. And that, that somehow through the sovereignty of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, that this person as an abused child would have, have had some things happen in their life and they say, you know what? God has freed me of the burden and the guilt and all of those things from that situation. Now I want to be an advocate. I want to speak for those who are caught in that situation. That's what this is. This, this anger is driven by our passions and our life experiences. This is one of those things that is, when we go through hardship in our life, and as God gets us through that hardship, this is one of the things that God wants to use, and He will get glory, which is coming up. How God gets glory by helping His people overcome their sin and overcoming, or helping them fight injustice and get out of oppression. That's one of the things God gets glory from. As far as of Christ saying, you know what? I've been freed of this, and I know that there are people who need direction in those areas. There's people who need hope in those areas. And maybe the Lord could use me as a funnel of hope to those people because I've been where they've been. And you know what? When, when God, through His sanctifying work, and He cleanses us, and, and through His righteousness... And he does that work in us. It allows us to have a voice into social injustice that we could not have had if we weren't in those situations and been freed from them. Now, it comes down to this. If you're going to remember anything about today other than money randomly falling out of my Bible, um, it's the next thing that's on the screen. And it's we see... This is the idea of social injustice is that we see things as they should be 
And we know that we cannot rest until they actually are. It's like we see things as they should be. Maybe, it's, maybe you just need to open your blinder, the blinder of your mind and your heart to this idea of social injustice and saying, you know what, I see things the way they should be and I cannot rest until they actually are. I know that many of you are maybe involved locally in, in local missions and I know even the Red Wagon ministry that um, the Wilkins are a part of. You know, those are awesome things to be a part of. And we're, I'm going to give you some opportunities and tell you about some local things that maybe you can partner with later. But it's like, I know that some of you are doing that, and I want to encourage you, if you are, keep it up. Keep it up. You're, you may be already be speaking for people who are caught in social injustices. And I have to tell you, not all social injustice is caused by their own doing. It's not. Let's move on. We're going to read uh, verses 7 through 11. I pondered them in my head. This is, this is the outcry and these charges. He says, I pondered them in my head and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury for your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, yeah, as far as possible, we have bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could not because they could find nothing to say. Matter of being speechless. But verse nine. So I continued. What you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending people money and grain. But let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury you are charging them, the hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. He, said, he looks at these people, the people who could also make a difference, and he says, I see what you're doing, I smell what's cooking, and he says, shut it off. He says, you need to stop. You need to knock it off. He speaks for these people and he, and, he, and he opens his mind's eye and his heart's eye and he sees the problem and he, he realizes that what is happening is not of the Lord, it's of people and it's driven by greed. Now, these people had no voice. The people who were caught in the situation had no voice. Nehemiah stood up and he says, you know what, I want to be a voice for those who are hurting. I want to be a voice to, this, to those people who are caught up in social injustice. And he knew that was the right thing to do. They were basically charging interest to their own people. This idea of, of, of taxing or charging interest, this is directly against Scripture in Exodus 22. They're not supposed to charge interest to their own people. And what it is, this... A, a, Affliction that's happening from the inside. He says, you know what? Here's, here's what we're going to do. He says, you need to knock it off. You're not even supposed to. Going back to the law of Moses in Exodus 22, he says, you're not even supposed to be doing this in the first place. And he says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Now, for him, he knows that he's supposed to lead by example. He goes through, and it, it tells us in this, that that it isn't just words. But we look in, in this scripture. He says, in verse 10, he says, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. So Nehemiah is, is a good leader. He's saying, you know what? I'm doing my part. 
But he said, I don't want this to be a downward funnel to where I start giving money and you expect more money and then all my money is going down the drain and we're caught in the same situation. So he goes right to, right to the head of the problem and he just cuts it off. And he says, you need to knock it off. He says, I'm doing my part. I'm lending these people money to, because I know the king's going to want his share. The government always wants their share, don't they? And he says, I know that, that there's nothing I can do about the king and what, what the Persian king wants. But he said, right now, I'm going to speak for them. I'm going to give them to this. I'm going to, I'm going to make all of the things I can. I'm going to speak for those caught in the social injustice. And I think by, by design, that's what the church is supposed to do. That the church, the church, the one that Jesus Christ died for, is supposed to, to, to bring hope to dark places. It's supposed to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. You know, I, I, in this one of those things, and I mentioned this earlier, I know in the back of our mind, and it's not a godly thing, in the back of our mind we think about people in social injustice, and we're automatically programmed to think, wow, okay, that person put themselves there in that situation. We're not supposed to be judge and jury. We're not. We're not. We're supposed to follow what Scripture says. But I know that's where our mind goes. That's the reason why I'm pounding that part. Now, verse 12 and 13. This is, this is really cool. This is like a radical change from what was happening before. And you'll see this in verse 12. He says, We will give it back, they said. And we will, demi- we will not demand anything more from them. And we will do as you say. Then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of the robe and said, In this way may God shake you out of his house and possessions, every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. At this the whole assembly said, Amen. That was their confirmation as to what was going on. They bought into it. They agreed. And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. See, this is... This is funny because they agreed to change. Nehemiah said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take this stand. I know it's going to be controversial. I know people are going to sit up here and they're going to want to throw darts at me. But he says, I'm going to take a chance. The Lord's directed me to do this. I'm going to throw it out there. He throws it out there to the people. You see the people change. They turn themselves around and they go and they respond very, very well to it. Now, this idea of him shaking out the folds of the robe, that was a way of publicly saying, if, you don't buy in, if you're not buying into what you're telling me right now and you don't follow through, he said, when you shake out the folds of the rope in their culture, it was saying, if, if, in doing that, he says, basically, if you don't follow through with what you're saying, you're going to be a public mockery. And you're going to be proven a liar. Now, I think that was a way of publicly doing that and that was, everything was done publicly. They don't have, they don't have, environments like we do now. I mean, we have, we have Facebook and we have Twitter and we have email. We have all these things. I mean, we could create these, these false identities. You know, I could go on Facebook and be some 6'4 football player from, you know, Sweden called Sven if I wanted to be. And you wouldn't know any difference because I could create who I wanted to be. It's like the, I could have an existence outside of myself. But in their world, public perception was everything. It was everything. And when he went out in public and as a leader and he shook out the folds of his robe and he basically says, you know what, you are going to be, you're going to stand in contempt of the Lord if you don't follow through what you promised. 
It was a big deal. So when they said amen and they praised the Lord through that, then you see that they bought into it and they realized that there was repercussions if they didn't follow through. Important stuff. Now, Nehemiah was discontented about about how his people were going through and how his people were struggling. My hope is this. I'm going to use a couple other scriptures. I, I want you to maybe listen to this, this sermon later, maybe not, maybe just go through these scriptures, but I'm going to put a, a couple more scriptures. I could put a ton more, but, uh, and I'm good to go all day, but I figured you guys probably have something going on this afternoon. Um, but I just picked a couple scriptures that I want to put on the screen for you that just talk about what our role is in fighting social injustice. And first one is Zechariah 7, 9 and 10. And Zechariah wrote this. He says, this is what the Lord says. This is a, a prophet of the Lord, so he's speaking for the Lord. He says, administer what? True justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of one another. He's saying the same thing I said earlier. It isn't that what I said was prophetic. I've simply read the scriptures. He says, you need to speak for those who are caught in these situations. This is what the Lord says, Zechariah. This is what he says. He says, administer true justice. Show mercy and be compassionate. But then also we see in Micah 6, 8. This just cuts to the core of it. He says, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Okay, put this in our context. What does the Lord require of us? He says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Pretty much says the same thing in, in two different verses. This is what we're supposed to do. This is, what it, this is what we're supposed to do. To speak, not only what we're supposed to do, but, but one of the, of the facets and outlets of the, of the Christian walk is to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. I would go out on a limb and say this, and I, I know this may be controversial, but I, I think it's true, that it's, it's not solely the government's job for us to go through or for, for us to rely on the government to provide for all of those type of people who are caught in social injustices. It's not. It's not. Yeah, do I think there's a role there? Should they, should they look out for those things? Absolutely. But I think it's, it's the redeemed of God who are supposed to stand in the gap for those people and realize, you know what? This is what the church is supposed to do. And unfortunately, when the church turns a blind eye to those things, other people have to become more aware of it and we have to rely on other people to take care of problems that who should have been doing in the, in the first place? Us, the church, the redeemed of God. We're supposed to speak for those who have no voice. We're supposed to, to help people to seek justice. There's a couple of statistics and, and things I want to help you with. Maybe, like I said, I don't, know, I don't know where this lands with you, but there's all kinds of organizations globally and locally that you could partner with. I'm going to share some of those and some statistics. This idea of human trafficking. I was kind of, I didn't realize it was so prevalent until a few years ago. I was at a conference and, you know, it wasn't one of those emotional pleas at a conference where you go to the conference and just like everybody's crying. It's just like, oh, my goodness, I can't do this. And like they try and make you feel guilty. Um, that doesn't work on me. So that isn't what, even what happened. But for them, they, they kind of just brought out these statistics that really was alarming to me. That there are 
1.3 million adults and children caught in slavery, modern-day slavery, today. In our world. In our world. 12.3 million. Is that a problem that the church globally should recognize and try and fight against? Everybody shake your head this way. Yes. There's also another thing. I know we, that we partner with, with Pastor Bernard in, in Africa, and it's an amazing work. But there's other things going on in Africa, too. There's an organization called the 410 Bridge. Google it if you want. Amazing thing. It's, it's actually spurred from one of the pastors at North Point Community Church. Basically, they went through and they said, you know what? There's some social injustice going on in Africa where they don't have clean water to drink. And anyone who knows anything about Africa, who's been to Africa, realizes that one of the, one of the killers in Africa is not having good water. No water supply. So they went through and they said, you know what? We're going to speak for these people who can't speak for themselves and we're going to drill wells. And they're going to be village wells. And they're going to know that that the church of Jesus Christ planted and they went through and they, they put in this well for these people and the gospel flows from that very well every single day. 410 Bridge, that's another one. I, I found this out recently. Um, I went to a local gathering. Poverty, poverty right here in Georgia... That for us, our, our statistics are, are significantly higher than what they are in the rest of the country. We're actually number three on this list that I hit. And this was from 2007 to 2009. I don't have anything from 2010. Um, and we're not into uh, 2011 enough to, uh, to really be accurate. But Georgia is, is number three nationally with, with just household... Food insecurity, people struggling. I'm not talking about people struggling for cable TV and they're ticked off because they don't have cable this month or, or they lost their, their satellite or they can't get a signal or, you know, or whatever these things are that, you know, that their plasma went out and now they're going to have to go back to a 19-inch tube. You know, these are people who, who are looking for food, not creature comforts, food. And that somehow Georgia would be on the list. Somehow. Right, 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 exactly. Now, it's for us. I realize that we can't do everything, but I know that, that in our church, we can't do everything, but we can do something. I know that God has done a work in you that is, has been unique to you. And I know that He wants to get the glory through the, maybe the things that he's brought, you, that he's brought you out of, and He wants to do a continual work through you. And he wants to get glory from that because he knows that he didn't just bring you through those situations for it just to land on you and just to be a big lump in your throat that you don't know what to do with. He says, you know what? I want you to do something through this. He says, yes, I know that you struggled through this. I know this week has been bad for a lot of people. And I, and I, I said that earlier, and I want you to know that if God brought you to this point, he'll bring you through it. And if brought, God has brought you to social injustice in the past or maybe being poor, maybe you're raised poor, maybe you sit and you can understand that to a level that I necessarily can't. I had food on the table when I was growing up. I don't know how you were raised. Maybe that would be a passion that God wants to... to just to fuel through you to just go do something to make a difference. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And then also with that, I know that I know what, what Satan's approach to this is. Satan's approach to this is, I want you to overthink. 
When you see a homeless person on the side of the road, Satan wants you to think, oh, that person's really not homeless. I mean, they're, I mean, they're on a bike, you know, they're probably, you know, they're going somewhere. He's, he's probably not even homeless, although he has all the bags tied to the bike, which is very, you know, you know what's going on there, but yet Satan's going to cause you to think, I bet he's probably got that bike because he can't have a car and he can't drive because he was an alcoholic and got a DUI and got his license revoked. So now he can't drive. It's probably why he's riding his bike. Or maybe we see people in situations where, you know, we, we, we care for folks at a soup kitchen. I know what the tendency is. I know what the human condition is, and it's a sickness that Satan puts in our mind when we see those folks at the soup kitchen. And I'm saying it happens to every one of us till we sit here and our, our inkling is to judge these people and say, I bet they put themselves in that situation all by themselves. As followers of Christ, that's not our role. If you look at Zechariah 7, 9, and 10, and you look at Micah, at Micah that we read earlier, that is not what Scripture says. Micah 6, 8 through 10. That isn't what Scripture says. That's not what it says. The, that type of judgment on others is basically saying that we, in essence, don't care about their situation. That we don't care about it. They got themselves into the situation, so I'll get them out. I want to give you a couple, couple ideas from Scripture. Recently, I was, read, or I was reading through like, the, the work of Elisha. And it was interesting to me that when Elisha went through and he went in and, and he had been, he basically was confronted with this social injustice with this widow who needed some oil. Basically, all she had was some oil. And he goes in and he says, I have this great idea. He says, I want you to go grab all these jars of oil from, from all your neighbors, all of them that are empty. And he says, you bring them into your house. And he says, I know you just have a little bit, but he says, I want you to take all those and pour them into the jars. And, I, and there's going to be an amazing work of God that happens. And as you pour all this oil, the oil is not going to run out. Y'all remember that from Scripture, from 2 Kings? And he says, the oil is not going to run out. You're just going to keep pouring it and pouring it and pouring it and fill all those containers. And God tells him, he says, you know what? There's an amazing thing, using Elisha, there's an amazing thing that's going to happen as he goes through with, the, with this oil. He says, that oil is actually going to sustain you for now. It's going to sustain your kids and it's going to sustain you for life. He says, I've just basically given you the tool to survive. Elisha didn't go through there when the widow came up to him with the sad story, and Elisha didn't go up there and say, wow, man, you're in a mess. Oof. You ought to go talk to, maybe, maybe your uncle has some money. You, you try and maybe think about borrowing some oil from someone else. Elisha says, oh my goodness, there's a woman caught in social injustice here. We need to make a difference. We need to make a plan of action to, to rectify this situation. I think about Jesus when the paralytic man was on a mat, you remember this one? When Jesus was, he was in a room, he was actually in a house, and, and it was so packed full of people because that's the kind of crowd Jesus drew. And he, he was so packed full of people. And then this paralytic man comes on a mat, and four of his buddies basically have to do what? They go through, they go through the ceiling... And in their culture, it would be a lot more doable than now. In their culture, and they lower him down on a mat. And Jesus, he says, what? He says, take up your mat. Basically, you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And he walks away a brand new man. Jesus didn't go through there and say, somebody's going to have to pay for that hole. You, you think about that? Maybe you could have like crowd surfed in here. Like, you know, everybody else is in here. It would have probably been fine. But Jesus didn't judge him. He says, wow, you're exactly where you need to be. He said, you came to the person who could make a difference. 
And he says, take up your mat. Your sins are forgiven. Go home. You're a changed man. Yeah, that, that would be an injustice to me, somebody that's paralyzed. And Jesus says, you know what? I want to make a difference in this person's life. I want to say he wants to make, make a difference in yours. And he wants to make a difference through you to people that, that you probably don't even know. God gets glory from those things. A couple opportunities. I'm going to say these. Um, I can share them with you later locally. Some, uh, some ministry opportunities for you to kind of put legs onto what I'm talking about. And these are probably some that you've heard of, maybe. Um, this, there's a ministry here called the Helping Hands Ministry. We direct people to Helping Hands all the time. I've never met her. I've talked to her on the phone. Gail Yates is the spokesperson for that. And basically, Helping Hands is just kind of like, they are literally like a funnel of people who need clothes or money or all these things. And basically, they churches... And people provide into this funnel, and through that funnel comes a lot of community help. I have to tell you, I have people come through these doors or call multiple times a week looking for money. I know this area is, is oppressed. I know. I know the work situation. I know the finances are tough. I know people are struggling. Helping hands. That would be maybe you're moved of the Spirit and you wanted to, to do something. Check with Helping Hands. Maybe you have extra stuff you can give. Maybe you can give your time. There's more. That there's the, the ABC Women's Clinic. I know some folks in here right now kind of partner with ABC. That's awesome. It's basically speaking for women who are caught in bad situations. Yeah, we could sit here and, and think why they're in those situations. That's not what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ. We're supposed to, to realize they're in a situation, and we can help make a difference. And here is this ABC Women's Clinic that stands in the gap for these ladies, and we could work through them. We have the soup kitchen. Uh, I heard some folks last night talking about homeless veterans. I I heard this statistic. Um, This is uh, from 2009, 2009, 2010. Um, There are like 478, 400 in the 70s, homeless veterans in Dublin. 478. This is from a, basically a, the Veterans in Christ organization, non-for-profit here in town that does a great work for that people group. And to me, that's a big number. Dublin's not that big to have 478 or whatever the number is. 418, sorry, I exaggerated by 60. 418 homeless veterans. I was a veteran. That bothers me. That bothers me. I'm a veteran. We have the Red Wagon Ministry. Talk with 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 the Wilkins family about that. And I'm going to leave you with this. It's on the screen. This is it, it all comes down to this. It all comes down to this. Our job is speak for the hurting, aid the oppressed, and give direction to the lost. That's what we're supposed to do. In a nutshell, we could have made this this whole service a lot shorter because it all comes down to that. Speak for the hurting. Aid the oppressed. That means do something. Put some hands. Maybe put some wallet power. Put something in there to help the oppressed and to give direction to the lost. And I'm talking about lost as far as as being lost spiritually. We can do it as a church. We can do it as people. God has brought you through situations in your life that he wants to use to further his glory. And he wants you to be a part of it. And the only way that we can do that is that we would do it together and that we would do it well.
and that we would serve our God, the God of this city, the God of this people, and that we would serve them together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to to be able to speak for those who are hurting, whether it's financial hurt, emotional hurt, Maybe they're just confused. Maybe it's people that are, that are battered. Maybe it's, maybe it's that, that husband or wife in, in a terrible situation of abuse that, just, that needs to, to get out of an abusing situation. I know there's no part of that that, that you support. God, I pray that, that maybe, maybe that you want to help, you would like for us to, to speak for those. God, I pray that you would just allow us to to put our hands and our thought and our prayers and maybe some money into aiding the oppressed. And I pray that we will always remember to invest and invite people into this fellowship and to help them have direction in their lives. Lord Jesus, we pray that you watch over us today and we pray that you just be with us all until we can meet again next Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.